What's going on, y'all? This is Mike Brown, and I want to welcome y'all to this week's episode of The Art of Letting Go. While I have your attention, this month is Merch Madness. What does that mean? Everything on the website is 30% off, 30% off your entire order. That includes my podcasting course if you're interested in taking it. So head to www.theartoflettinggopodcast.com. Support the podcast, buy some merch. We got some really cool stuff on there. Some new stuff is out. Check it out. Yo, what up? This is Mike Brown, and this is The Art of Letting Go. Today, I have a special guest in the building, and we're in a special place because uh, I've never been here before. Um, I was telling people earlier, because I'm from Houston, and uh, when I was growing up, people probably still say it, but we used to use the word Maine. Maine. Mm, so I said, I'm on the train to Maine. <laughs> I'm in Maine right now. You're in Maine, Maine. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I am here with a special guest. Um, we went to college together, reconnected last year, yeah, and just got caught up on life, but also caught up in connection. And um, yeah, you invited me out here, and I'm glad to be out here. Thank but you. do you mind introducing yourself to the people? I would be honored to do it. I'm Christina Cartwright. I'm a mom of two amazing little girls, and I've been on an insane journey as a mother. Um, and one of the things that I found really hard at the deepest throes of my postpartum depression um, was the fact that I grew up in a society, we all kind of have grown up in a society where motherhood is really held up by a foundation of sanitized imagery. Mm. And the sanitized imagery is really great for this thing we call capitalism, but it really freaking sucks for the moms yeah. who are actually living this life of being closeted. Imagine living in a world where you live this life, you carry this burden, you do this really hard shit all day long, you do all these different tasks you never get credit for. You hold in all of your emotions because your life is filled with taking care of all these other humans. You do this thing that's considered more than a full-time job. Then you might also be breastfeeding. You might also be doing a job and having all these other things. And the whole world has no idea that this is even a reality. They yeah. think motherhood is very simple. They think it's this like this illusion that just kind of happens. I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's like this thing that happens out in the ether. And so I really fell into the throes of this really big disconnect because society had fed me this visual of motherhood that was very different than my experience. So are we letting go of the idea of what motherhood is? Like what is projected as motherhood? Yeah. Okay. I mean... That's really what I want to let go of. And that's, and that's, that's kind of the heartbeat of rebranding motherhood. Okay. Yeah. So before we get too into it, how are you feeling today? I am feeling like I'm trying to lower my vibration, but yeah. I'm also really excited. At As the you same should time, be. I'm like very excited. I'm excited for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I'm excited to be back together. Yeah. Feeling like a part of me that I haven't felt in a long time. That's what's up. I so really, really appreciate that. Um, that I'm I'm glad to be here with you. 
and uh have that same feeling as well like i'm i'm feeling good being here and uh yeah like i said i i don't make it out to the east coast like that so it feels special and it's been peaceful because things have been stressful but at the same time like just having this change of scenery change of environment has felt really special so thank you you're welcome you're welcome so to get into rebranding motherhood um what is your earliest idea or memory of like what a mother should be or what a mother should look like like what what stands out as those characteristics of what you thought it was supposed to be um so for me what stands out for me about motherhood in the original kind of views that was fed to me was just that you bring the mic a little closer it's not that difficult to do mm-hmm. somehow women are just doing it it was fed to me that it was just kind of a part like a milestone in my life right of like a rite of passage for women you yeah you grow up you have your period um i guess you like find a, a partner you tie the knot you um share debt and liabilities and start a family and and then you become a mom and starting a family and then that's kind of it. It just always seemed like this thing that was just out there that was pretty normal, something exciting to do, like a wedding, you know, and it was just gonna be this really cool experience Um, and it was gonna be magical. Like I think that's the other thing, pregnancy, is layered to us in these visuals of very like of euphoria who were like your your role models or your your ideas of what a mother was supposed to be outside outside of like your own parent on who who a mom oh mrs huxtable Mm -hmm. um was like a baseline i think for a lot of little black girls out there um i think Another visual of a mother. I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know that I have like this. Yeah. I, I had this like kind of vision in my head of like an ideal. Because honestly, what's wild, and you ask me that is, is that wasn't really the hero framework that exists in society, right? Mm-hmm. There wasn't some mom, right? I grew up in 1986. Like I was born in 1986. Like mm-hmm. there's not like a mom figure like today. Um, There's not like a mom hero that would have existed. That would have been like crazy for someone to say, oh, I look up to a mom. Do you know what I mean? That's actually weird to say and think about. But I think that was my experience. So it's hard to pinpoint something. Yeah. Um, Did you look up to your own mom as a mother like figure role model? Uh, No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I actually, that was like a real deep place of longing for me. Yeah. Because now being a mother, I see how much your children need that nurturing of a mother caregiver figure. Like it doesn't have to just be in the feminine space, but that was my experience being a mother. And it was so... It was so shocking to me 
um, looking back now at the experience that I did have with my own mother. Um, and I think that's also another reason why it was like a disconnected visual for me of like looking up to a mother or like valuing that role or thinking that role is, is a role of power or empowerment or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and kind of going back to like those characteristics that you saw of like what a mother was supposed to be. How do you feel like you align now being a mother today? Like what, what do you see that's similar and what's different? I would say the values that were modeled for me of motherhood are the antithesis of my mothering foundation. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is the complete opposite. And in a way though, I'm really grateful for that. I think that's one thing myself and my husband both really value is finding, I think you put it this way, the beauty in the darkness mm -hmm. and the beauty in the pain, the beauty in the trauma, and also realizing the detrimental impact that makes on a child for the rest of their life in perpetuity. Yeah. And I guess because I haven't experienced the parent role yet, I still see a lot of things from the perspective of child. And I'm curious being in like that, that in-between role, that interchangeable role of being both parent and child, um, how valuable do you feel empathy is in those roles? Because I think as I'm starting to mature and get older, I'm starting to have more empathy for my parents just because you know, if I do get the opportunity to be a parent, I want my kids to be empathetic to me because all I'm doing is the best I could do. You yes, know? yes. I love that question. Um, you know, when I think about that, this word empathy even. Yeah. It's only in my lexicon today because of a lot of the hard work I've done. Yeah. A lot of the hard work you're doing, you're yeah. sharing with your community. And I didn't have those skills. I didn't even know what empathy was. It wasn't even being shown to me. And that's the biggest thing I've learned about parenting is you can tell your kids whatever the rip you want all day long. But if you're not modeling that for them, yeah. forget about it. Yeah. And so it's interesting because as I've done the work now, even through my estrangement with my own mother, I still can have empathy for her as a mother in the fact that she was doing what she could with the skills and the environment and things that she could do and yeah. the things that she had. However, um, you know, I think I also want to say that like empathy is something that you really have to kind of role model, I think, for, for kids sure. yeah. to feel that for you. Because you said like, hey, when I become a parent, I want my kids to feel that back to me. And it's hard yeah. to do that every day. How, how do you do it as a parent to your kids? Yeah. How do I role model empathy? I think for my children, it's giving them a real life illustration of it, like real time. So for example, you know, with my oldest daughter, Lala, who's like four, she's dealing with this like sibling 
dynamic. It's yeah. new for her. She doesn't. She really does like being a big sister. Yeah. She really vibes off that, but she still is a little kid that had just mommy and daddy to herself for a long time, and she's four. So, what am I really working with here? <laughs> yeah. Toddler, right? Um, and so for her, I try to give her a real life example. So like with her sister. Um, you know, I'll say, Hey, I know you really love Zuri. Oh, wow. She like spilt Zuri spilt her favorite little drink on the floor. Now she can't have it. Oh, poor Zuri. Oh, I feel so bad for her. Like, and I don't name that like empathy because she's yeah. four. She doesn't even know her own name some days, you know, yeah. like she still figures life out. But what I try to do is just give her like these real life examples on her own level that she genuinely gets. She genuinely loves her sister. She doesn't want her sister to be hungry and like have right. her little favorite drink like out. So that's just kind of some of the ways that we try to just bring it down to her level, you know? That's what's up. Um, something that I thought to ask you just popped in my head, but as a parent, um, as far as parenting, do you have any fears? Oh my gosh, I have a lot of fears. Do you mean fears from the sense of fears of things that are gonna happen to my children kind of a thing? Or like fears like in that realm or you mean like fears within what's gonna happen as a parent-child relation, like as a parent? Did I go too deep? No, but, 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 I'm, but I'm open to it all because I was kind of just general like fears in general but yeah i was curious like and, and i'm i guess i am curious about which ones you do have yeah i mean or which ones stand out as like the the most for you like which ones stand out the most i mean my biggest fear is my children's innocence being taken away from them in a way that's not like authentic to their development yeah so like shit's gonna break down for kids mm -hmm. and it did for me it mm -hmm. did for you. Mm -hmm. It did for probably 99% of all children on this planet at some point in time. So I don't want to shield them from that. But, you know, those really horrific moments that every parent loses sleep over, I think that is always my biggest fear. It's like when the world is going to take over my child and parent them in a way that's against my own values. Like my yeah. own, and I hate, I don't even know if I like to use that word values. I'd say more like my ethos. Yeah more of a thing and then i'd say like my parenting worries would be like that i'm gonna parent my kids like my parents parented me that's my biggest fear i don't wanna i just uh, i don't know it really weighs on me a lot that's real that's real yeah and how do you how do you cope with that fear especially the one of i guess like repeating those habits as a parent like how do you cope with that well <laughs> my therapist would say that you have to really connect with your habits and patterns it's mm. very unrealistic for us to really hope that we're gonna just become different creatures. Yeah. I think you can have a, I think we said this, this earlier today, awareness. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we wanna achieve. You wanna get a deeper awareness 
of what is going on. You want to gain some mindfulness so that your reactions aren't taking over your life. Yeah. Um, and then you want to be able to take care and protect your energy. And I think that's kind of the key of what you're trying to like go after. Um, I totally forgot what your question was. No, that's bad. all good. That's all good. That's perfect. <laughs> I fell down a tangent. Spiral. No, that, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> it's James Woods, aka Dad Yoga Dude, with Feel Free to Feel Free. I want you to think about a risk. I want you to think about a relationship. I want you to think about an opportunity. I want you to think about a change that makes you nervous, anxious, uncomfortable. Think about that thing you've been waiting to do for a long time, a thing that hasn't been done for whatever reasons you give yourself. Think about that opportunity, that chance, that new job, quitting the job, the relationship, the place you want to be, but for some reason you haven't been going there. And then we're going to get comfortable getting into the discomfort, letting go of the place where we are now, that's comfortable, to move into the uncomfortable place. The place that's going to reward us. The place that's really what we want. The place that has everything we dream of. And our fears. I want you to relax. And come into the safest place you have. Right now. As you relax the shoulders. And breathe deeply into the belly. I want you to continuously come back to your breath. And as your mind drifts towards that goal, that dream, as your mind starts to build the anxiety, the stories about why you can't, what you can't, who you're not, breathe back into your safe space of here and now, where you get to choose where you have endless possibilities and infinite ways to move towards your goal. Breathe into your calm, your peace. Release the chaos, the frustration, the doubt. And bring breath into your knowing. Your you got this. You're ready. As you inhale and exhale, you go stronger and stronger in your belief. As you inhale and exhale, your vision and goal gets clearer and clearer. As you inhale and exhale, you let go of any fear, worry, and doubt. Carry the safety, the security, the truth of your breath into everything you do. And know your goal, your vision, your dream. 
next step towards you feeling free to feel free. Namaste. Peace. I wanted to ask you, what does rebranding motherhood look like? Good question. Or really before what it looks oh. like, what, what does it mean to you okay. to rebrand motherhood? What does it mean to me to rebrand motherhood? What it means to me to rebrand motherhood, the world, let's say this way, the world's going to look like this. Mm-hmm. If rebranding motherhood happens, it's going to look like a place where women aren't breastfeeding and nursing in their places of business and the places that they work and having to explain to anybody why they need to take one hour out of the day, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe two hours. She yeah. might be working through a clogged duct. She didn't sleep for the last four nights. Get off her back. She's just trying to breastfeed and do her job. And I think that disconnection of society and understanding these basic rudimentary fundamentals of what motherhood means the sacrifice that motherhood needs is why there's so much confusion in the world on why there needs to be paid leave Mm -hmm. why we need to be disproportionately investing in our healthcare system on maternal health care especially for black and brown moms who die at a 4x rate of any other mother um we also need to make sure people understand the burden that motherhood brings for women so that we understand the mental health crisis that's happening with mothers. Postpartum depression has tripled since the pandemic. One in four women who claim self-harming as a result of postpartum depression, or let me say this uh, factoid differently, The amount of women who are claiming self-harming as a result of postpartum depression increasing has also dramatically increased. Yeah. So what we're hearing and what we're seeing is people crying out for help, moms screaming out for help. I mean, literally, I just did a primal scream at my house the other night, and it was just me and 10 moms, and we were screaming out, releasing our rage at the top of our lungs. Wow. That went down. That happened. Wow. Right? So, yeah, that that's that's beautiful. Um, first, Thank I you. wanted to ask, what does postpartum depression look like? Like, how would how would any of us even know to uh, identify it as that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I would say all people going through any mental illness. It looks completely different for each and every individual. Um, I would say that for me, what postpartum depression looked like was being in this dark room when I used to live in this really bright, beautiful garden. And I'm in this room and um, there's a hole and there's light coming through this hole And this light in this dark room starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the pain gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And you're so confused. And a lot of moms are so confused because they were so excited about what this meant for their lives during pregnancy. That's part of that sanitized imagery that is poisonous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's you're, you're sitting here planning for this experience that's 
never going to happen. And then in the midst of it, you go through the throes of motherhood and your relationship with yourself changes. Your relationship with your body changes. Your relationship with your partner changes. Your financial situation changes. Your relationship with society and community changes. And it all happens overnight. Mm -hmm. And then you're also trying to keep this human alive. Like, I mean, no one's teaching us in school. Like, I mean, I know women have the babies. Thanks, patriarchy. However, it's not like we have this rule this book that we're trained on i'm like this is what you do when a newborn has a fever and here's how you take a fever of a newborn and here's what that means because it's not the same thing as what it is for an adult and so i think that's what was so hard was going through this postpartum depression for me was my whole life changing in one fail swoop and we didn't talk about this today but i almost lost my life to tumors in my ovaries. Wow. And I almost lost the ability to even have children. And I found an incredible OBGYN that saved my life and allowed me to have kids. And all of this, this like, um, these feelings and emotions were coming up that like, Christina, you should be grateful. Why are you complaining that you're not sleeping? Why are you complaining that this is hard? And I think that's why this postpartum depression is so painful too because men in our patriarchy um and i'm just speaking to my relationship dynamic um being married to a man um is that they're really not trained for what being a dad is or or what parenting is or even what motherhood means or what having a pregnant partner looks like and so they didn't get the nine months of this thing you know growing with you and getting attached and so yeah so they can't even you're really kind of a little on your own yeah that's that's something i've kind of noticed uh with when i see men and women have kids it's almost like women immediately transition into being a mother and men kind of almost like grow into being that uh fatherly figure like because i think it's almost like not like you said we i guess we don't carry the the physical part of it so you know it doesn't happen as fast like i I meet a lot of like a lot of my friends are like shocked at first that they actually have a kid when they first have a kid like oh shit like i really have a kid (laughs) you know and uh it's interesting to see and it's interesting you even say that because that's a dynamic And with rebranding motherhood, that's kind of the first, there's kind of like different ingredients to it. You know, one ingredient is eliminating the sanitized images and start building unfiltered imagery around motherhood, what it really means so that we can actually get the right support and the right um, understanding and the right resources and the right, you know, innovation of products happening like in that space to actually make our journeys easier. And then the other part is also like education too, around like a lot of these different topics that would eliminate a dad just feeling surprised that it's happening or moms feeling also equally surprised of her leaving the hospital with in a diaper. Like, you know, you're going to leave with the baby in diapers, but like mommy leaves in diapers and daddy also. Le- I mean, not daddy doesn't leave in diapers, but the <laughs> baby leaves in diapers too. It's just like all these crazy, like, I thought I figured life out, right? Yeah. I was like in my late 20s. It's like, I thought I really knew how to live as an adult. Whoa, like everything just changed. And I had to keep this kid alive, this this little baby alive at the same time. Mm. 
And it can be hard. Some people adjust to that with more ease than others. Yeah. What advice would you give to new mothers or mothers to be? I think the first piece of advice I would give to new moms is you're doing a really great job. You're beautiful. No matter what your body looks like, you're absolutely beautiful. You just did a Herculean effort that is one of the hardest things the human body can even experience. And you did it and you brought a baby into this world. So you're doing a great job. That's the first thing. That's real. I always like if you if you see a mom, please let that be the first thing that comes out of your mouth. That you're doing a good job. And that is a invaluable gift that you are putting in the tank of a mom that's probably very depleted. The second piece of advice I would give to new moms is throw away all of your ideals mm. of what your life's going to be like as a wife or a partner, um, as a parent now that the kid's out. Um, throw away all the ideas you have of what it's going to be like when the kid is one or two or three months or five months. Like it's all just happening and it's unfolding and your kid is different than the next kid and the textbooks are built on the averages. And so I think that's where a lot of the judgment and the shame can come in within motherhood internally is us not letting go of some of those narratives that are just completely built out of non reality of what motherhood really is. And it's going to be a lot harder for you to assess what support and help you need on this journey if you're not in touch with um, what's really going on, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think it's supposed to be normal that you your nipple is bleeding and you're trying to nurse, yes, that's normal and that's totally fine. But there's so much support you can get to make that a little easier and to take care of it and to find other ways through it. And so I just empower all the moms to realize that if you have to ask for help, that doesn't mean you're a bad mom. If you have to ask for help and support, that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It just means that you're human. And I'm learning through being a mom through Sesame Street that (laughs) doing new things are really hard. Yeah. They are. Learning something new is difficult. So give yourself some grace. That's real. I think those are the the first two things I would say to digest for yourself that's what's up yeah so being i forgot to mention that we have a live audience but being that we have a live audience (laughs) um i have a portion of the show called ask me a question okay where the listeners or the audience in this case get to ask us questions so i'm gonna pass the microphone and you can ask me a question christina both of us Okay. So, yes. oh, hi, listener. <clears throat> hi, uh, Mark Hanlon from Kenny Bunk, Maine. Yes. And it's my first podcast, and I'm really excited. <laughs> so, my question for both of you is it seems like the, you've both taken uh, the bad or difficult things in your life and turned them into something good. Almost like if those things didn't happen, that you wouldn't be the person that you are and 
can you tell me about that for each of you? And I hope that's not too personal. I love that. Um, I love that. That's my question. I don't know if that's a question. Oh, I love that. That Mike, works. You go first, please. Okay. So, I mean, there probably have been many things in my life, but I think the one that stands out the most to me is probably connected to sexuality. And, uh, like, just my journey of being open about it. Uh, that's probably, the like, at least because it took up such a chunk of my life, it's felt like the biggest challenge that I've had to overcome. Even today, there's still challenges that come up. Like, I, I don't know if it ever goes away. But I think you get better at dealing with it. And I think just being raised by people that have always meaning like my parents my grandparents like people that have always just overcome adversity that that's just in my dna so it's like if i'm going and we talked about this earlier i'm a person that's gonna figure some shit out i'm not going to wallow in pity i'm gonna figure it out and i think that has gotten me this far and also i think had I not gone through the things that I went through in the journey, I wouldn't be who I am today. So for all of those experiences, good, bad, indifferent, I wouldn't change a single one because I may not have this very moment if I changed a single thing. Yeah, that's just really positive. So that's, that. yeah, it's a, that's, thank you. <laughs> I love that. I think, wow, I think I really share, well, one, I feel that big time. Um, I think for me, it was really along the lines of acceptance and acceptance of all the things that happened and allowing that acceptance to let me release a lot of the shame that was crippling. It was crippling me. I, and I, I wouldn't even call it as like, Oh, I hate myself. But the narrative that was my diet, my inner dialogue, my loudest voice was extremely negative. And until I started really going on this mental wellness journey and start accepting my pain, then I was really becoming empowered by my pain. Like you said, right? Like these really hard things that happened to me, these really hard things that I went through in my life that completely broke me all the way down. Also, like built, I was built up on another level of the mountain. Like I could see higher heights, I could see bigger potential and opportunities and and I think that's why the apex of my journey was really through motherhood, because it really kind of embodied all of those things, pain, trauma, um, acceptance, like all these things I'd been struggling with and wrestling with in my life. And through postpartum depression, I was forced to deal with it, to be the mom I really knew I could be. And so I think for me, that's what allowed me to really just kind of maintain a positive space and just feel destined to talk to more people about it, tell more people about the epic 
you know, adventure that you and I have gone on so far in our life and how we've come on the other side and what that can look like. I love it. Um, I was going to ask one other thing. Oh, you were talking before about uh, how to teach empathy, which I think is a, a wonderful thing. Um, I think maybe for the viewers, people define empathy differently. And I'm not saying there's a definition, but I wonder what is empathy to you? I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. Um, but then, and you were talking about modeling, oh, empathy for your children. If I had to think of like the best way to teach somebody empathy is to listen to them. Um, just listening is going to teach the person who you're listening to how to empathize with another person because really that's what it is it's listening and understanding anyway so again what is empathy to you and what do you think of that listening as a way to teach in real life anyway i like that um i think listening is a great way to teach because when you're actively listening to somebody I, I think so many of us are so ready to respond that you could be telling me what you're going through and I'm just ready to give you a, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, as opposed to really feeling and listening and, and processing what you're giving me and then giving you a response or not giving a response at all. You know, um, for me, I think being empathetic is to feel what someone is sharing but not take it on i think i used to think me taking it on was me being an empath and it's like no like i i feel for people i i care about people but i don't have to take it on like, like maybe sympathy is more empathy with but you're kind of almost lost in yeah. it or you're experiencing it to the point yes. where maybe you can't be so helpful because you've lost yourself somewhat but empathy is like a a true understanding with boundaries kind of thing. Love that. I used, to be, I used to be a therapist a long time ago. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Not oh. for 20 years. But still. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Never this. leaves you. It never leaves you. You're born with it. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the definition, and I want to talk about listening, too, because I love what the advice that you just gave me. What I love what you said about empathy, oh, so I'll give you my definition. My definition of empathy in my orbit is just having an understanding, like a deep understanding, not like a rote response mm -hmm. of what someone is going through. She is, but it's, wow, like, I, I can understand how that feels through the lens of something that's gone in my life. And then being able to show up in a way for that individual that supports them for them, not through my own lens of myself and my own stories and my own ego and all of the shit that's floating around in my head on a regular basis. And then what I love that you take it to the next level of is that, and then I, I but I'm not like, getting codependent mm -hmm. with those emotions. And that was kind of a later phase for me. And like doing therapy is understanding how to create these beautiful things called boundaries, mm -hmm. um, which are hard to do. And the listening piece that you gave us, I really love that because 
I'm learning that, especially with a toddler, where they're very reactive and they have crazy emotional swings and they can be out of nowhere. And I think listening has been a great tool to kind of manage what's going on and help them feel a little bit more safe um, and have um, them just being able to understand that it's okay, even though their feelings are like this, I know that's temporary because they're four. And so just allowing them to know in life that that's like okay, I think is so important. And when you don't get that, it can be really detrimental. Yeah. You know, as a person. Yeah. Can I ask the listener a question? Sure. So you were once a therapist. I'm curious to know how, during your time of doing it, how were you able to maintain being empathetic without it turning sympathetic so oh your hair is a lot uh, so i feel like people are born with certain temperaments mm-hmm. um and you can train people but or yourself but some people are just born i think more sympathetic and some people are born more empathic um i've always had really powerful boundaries for better or worse Mm -hmm. so I just genetically do not connect um, at that level without trying so I I can be just incredibly objective and unaffected because I really am yeah it wasn't until I had kids that that all went to shit yeah and for the first time, I think because like you have kids, and for the first time for me, I I know I knew what love was, mm-hmm. and that was overwhelming, um, and it just makes you like a prisoner for life because <laughs> your children are born, like your heart breaks, and then it's locked up in a cell, and it's awful, but it's wonderful. Yeah. But anyway, so as far as like like. I'd come home from work and my wife was like, well, how was, I'd be like, it was cool. It was fine. You know, let's, let's go skateboarding. Let's, you know, go to the gym. I really, it was, I was so unaffected by that kind of work that it was boring. Oh, wow. And that's part of why I stopped doing it. It was completely uninteresting because I don't know. It just, that's so cool. Um, yeah, that's cool because my friend who does the meditations on the podcast, he was a therapist and now a yoga teacher. Just got tired of it. So a lot of people get tired of it because they're so affected. I don't know which yeah. role he played. Like I yeah. just lost interest because it was boring. But so many people, um, maybe because they're just so loving. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm just like, I can act loving, but I'm really not that loving. <laughs> <laughs> but... I, I saw. I've seen a lot of people burn out because they take it home, they take it personally, and it's overwhelming. Like, I think that's why I wasn't. I mean, I was. I was good at teaching, but I wasn't super invested because I cared too much. It's like, ah, oh, like kids need work that's educational and fun, and I gotta bring just as much fun as education so they can really enjoy this and learn something. And it's like. That's not gonna get you paid more. It's not gonna get you. It's not gonna get you health benefits. <laughs> so you were a teacher. I was a teacher. I quit my job last year. What kind of 
elementary school music oh wow yeah. <laughs> here we are here That's we great. are in a <laughs> fucking jam session yeah. yep that is awesome uh-huh yeah well it sounds like it was probably good that you left the profession you know what i really enjoy working with kids i love working with kids but if i can be so honest because i don't work for anybody anymore i don't like the establishments of education i don't like the politics of education um I just don't want to deal with that shit. I just want to give kids what I have to give and move the fuck on. Pay me what you say you're going to pay me and move the fuck on. Right. So that's what, as a therapist, I hated the system. Um, and I just, by my nature, I hate authority. I can't listen to people. Mm. And I hate uh, all the different levels. So it was never going to work out. For that mm -hmm. Now, I also worked as a therapist in, in schools. So I had a double dose of of that Bureau and, bureaucracy right <laughs> um and you know and i had many offers to like be like uh like the school counselor or the social whatever it was um right away even early in my career but i just knew i didn't like i just couldn't deal with the system like i need to create my own yeah world the way i want it and yes so it when i got to being a therapist i just started my own businesses and and worked for myself and um i recommend it highly that's that's what i'm working on right now this podcast music speaking workshops literally everything i call myself a creative hustler um also identify as a creative entrepreneur an artist you know i take on all those titles as well um but yeah that's essentially what i want to do is like help people through doing shit like this because the classroom feels too surface for me. And we live in a world now because of social media and the internet where you can do that. Of course, of I course, mean, it's, of course. It's amazing the opportunities because of the technology. It is. And I think, I think that is why it is so important for all of us to work together because different people are tapped into different things like people act like kids don't know shit but like you said your kids are doing all kind of social media shit and it's like damn if i were to work with somebody young that knew how to get this shit out there because i don't all the way know how to get this shit out there i know it's very valuable but who's the person that knows how to like make it look cool in a tiktok video where it gets kids. reposted 30 fucking times exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah people used to uh like criticize me or you hear people say like oh kids are on their phone too much or they're doing too, playing too many video games or whatever but like at least now my daughter makes money doing what she would do on a sunday morning she you know she'd lay in bed sleep late uh watch youtube videos all day watch her favorite influencers and i and and and, and how 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 is that any different than you watching whatever drummers you were watching whatever guitar players you were studying and listening to all day right. it's the same shit like but now she's making money exactly what people criticize kids for doing too much of yeah um, exactly and you know what's funny people don't see the value of teaching shit like shit like this in schools because these kids can start as as early as first grade with a fucking podcast and imagine if you start in first grade and by the time you're 18 oh, the right. years of audience that you've built up yes right 
Yeah. Like, why why aren't we teaching that? Like, and I, and I and I've tried to be within the schools, and the kids ask these questions. I've worked with kids, and they're like, "Hey, how do I get paid off YouTube? How do I get paid off? Do you get paid off of this? How do I get paid? Money inspires these kids, and they they are willing to learn the skills. You know, I've I've taught kids how to make beats. I've taught kids how to podcast, and I want to give more of that to them, like to go teach them about some musician that's already passed away or some old ass song that is not better than a Stevie Wonder song because Stevie Wonder is the greatest musician of all time. So if we're not teaching Stevie Wonder, what are we teaching? You know, I'm guessing over time, this kind of stuff will creep into the edge the the, the younger grades, the education system. Yeah. Um, it kind of has to. It's already in the colleges. I mean, you, know, you, you can go to college probably the major in podcasts at this point. Yeah. Um, and colleges sure. actually let you make your own majors sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like Emerson. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah. And you could be a great conduit to moving that into mainstream. I education. am going to disrupt the world positively. So. But I'm going to disrupt the world. Continue to disrupt the world. Exactly. And I'm going to do it through the youth. I'm going to teach them everything I know and to not give a fuck about anyone's opinion. And to just do this shit. Do it because you love it. Don't do it because you want to make money. Because all of that's going to come with it. It's going to come if you just are passionate about it. Like I've done so many like I'll be honest with you I'm I'm not hyping myself up I've been good at literally everything that I've done in my life. And that's not being arrogant. That's being honest. Yes, sure. <laughs> I've been good at everything that I've done in my life, but I haven't been passionate about everything. There it is. There it is. And those things don't last. You ask me in the car, how have I done this so long and staying consistent? I enjoy it. Yeah. I really enjoy this. It's not about how much money I make, how much money I don't make. I enjoy it. It's hard. It's fun. It's sometimes uncertain. It's everything. But I can't imagine my life without it. I can't imagine my life without whatever, when I'm 60 years old, the next drum machine is at that time. I want it. (laughs) I think passion is contagious. Um, If you're with somebody who's passionate, you're just drawn to that person. Yeah. Um, And teaching people to you know find their passion or just find out who you are because that's what your passion is then yeah i like that so oh thank you um so i wanted to add something to what you just said mike which is i mean the money piece yes and not worrying about that because you're 100 percent right when you are doing something you love and you're ambitious. We have to add that in there too. Because yes. you can do something you love and not get off your ass and do shit about it to make it real. And I'm also saying don't listen to everything I'm saying because I'm also broke sometimes too. So <laughs> don't don't follow everything I'm I saying. Go, go get the money. Humble. But, He's being humble. Yeah, like, but I did want to say to mm-hmm. you that I've done the life where you make a lot of the money. Mm-hmm. And that's not happiness either. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's so important for people to realize like you listen, I mean, listen to any person who's extremely successful. They will tell you that making all the money did not make them happy. Actually, the opposite. 
So I'm curious to ask both of you, what does happiness look like for you? Mm. Wow, that's putting me on the spot. <laughs> I, I like doing what I want when I want. Um, and we were, we were talking earlier about this. I like to eat. I like to drink. Not too much, but I like to drink. <laughs> and I like to sleep. I like to write music. Um, so lo as long as I can just surround myself with what I just can't help but do and what I feel like doing, um, that's what happiness is like for me. I don't know if that's... I like that. Yeah. I would say for me, happiness, it's interesting you say that word happiness. It's almost a trigger <laughs> for me. Wait, yeah. My kids are happy. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is, if my kids it. are happy, I'm happy. Um, that's the first thing. And if they're not happy, I'm not happy. And that's part of that sympathy, being over involved and loving too much. And, yes. Um, so I love that. That's out of the way. Which <laughs> it always isn't. Yes. Yeah. I love that. No, not at all. I would just say for me, the word happiness is a bit of a trigger because I think it's really important for all of us to embrace all emotions. And I feel like at times, like happiness is overweighted and then the only other option is sad. So for me, what I will say is what gives me an inner light, like an inner shine, I'll define it as joy. Okay. If I may. I'll define it as joy is doing something that is my life's work. We talked about this in mm -hmm. the car, doing the projects that I was meant to do. How do you know what that is, audience? It's the things that people have always said you'd be great at your whole entire life. Mm. And it's probably the things you believe least, and it's probably the things that seem the furthest out of reach. I'll give an example. My whole entire life, people always told me I should have a talk show. Wow. Whole entire life. Like, the running joke of my life is that I remind everybody of Oprah. <laughs> High compliment, Oprah. I mean, for me. <laughs> I don't know if it's a compliment for her. Yeah. But to that point, doing that work actually and doing it behind projects that are really meaningful to me and to my soul and things that light me up are what bring me joy. And I'd say it's that joy is complemented and amplified by being surrounded by my deepest and most valued relationships, which are the people who see me. Yeah. It's not the people that I would just say that really see me and give me unconditional support. Yeah. That's when I'm really vibrating, like, like just with a glow joy like i keep hitting this thing with joy and where i feel like i'm at my best lightest self Oopa. there we go might be the cables touch oh sorry world i'm technologically unsavvy um do we have any more listener questions Okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Listener has 
one other stop for the evening on his press tour. We definitely appreciate your questions. Thank you. This was amazing. So now we're moving into our last segment of the show, which is five questions of freedom sponsored by Feel Free to Feel Free. And our first question is seafood in Maine or seafood in New Orleans? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to say Maine. And the reason why is because I love the taste of Gulf seafood. Okay. Right? However, I don't like the taste of Gulf seafood on the full spectrum of seafood. Like, I love the taste of Pacific cold watered lobster, shrimp, fish. All Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to say Maine. Okay. Maine. Sorry, Nola. <laughs> love y'all. Love y'all. Um, sales or marketing? Oh. <laughs> I feel like so many people are going to be wondering what I say because I've had this debate many a time in the office. And I would say there's nothing for sales to sell yeah. if marketing didn't make the brand first. But what mm. I will also say to my salespeople, because y'all matter too, is that there is no brand that is successful without partnering intimately with their sales team yeah so okay. it is a chicken or an egg but i would <laughs> say marketing i love i i mean me personally i love building brands but i would say it starts with marketing first there's yeah. nothing to sell i feel that like. okay so that was that was two right two okay dose third question because i know you said you would like to be a talk show host if you could interview anyone who would it be and why? Whoa. Or talk to. Oh, wow. Do they have to be alive right no, now? They okay. Don't have to. They don't have to be alive. They could be anybody in time. I would say this is a really good question. Um, I would want to talk to. Let me just think for one more minute here. And who really, really inspires me? Who really? I think I would want to have a conversation with Harriet Tubman. Okay. I would. I would love to know from Harriet Tubman. It's one of my daughter's favorite books, by the way. So I feel wow. like I have a pretty good baseline of her biopic. How the hell did she remain a tough, strong, proud, empowered black woman yeah. during slave slavery? Like, yeah. I, I mean, slavery times? Like, I don't even, I would just love to know what that was like. Like, what was her journey like? How did she get her head right every day for what her life was going to be? That's real. Wow. HT, baby. HT. That's what's up. Fourth question. Okay. Number four. What is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? I think the piece of advice that would have helped me the most is this is temporary. Mm. I don't think when you're young, unless you have very 
awakened, enlightened parents that, you know, pain and emotions and thoughts and feelings all have a wave and it's a cycle and there's, you know, and it's constantly changing. It's dynamic. And I think I would have been able to go deeper into the things that were creatively interesting to me, the things that like were really part of me, my real identity. If I realized that my life and the things that were happening to me in my life were temporary, like the hard things were temporary. Yeah. I feel that. (laughs) And last question, what is one reminder that you want to give to your future self? The best moment is right now. Okay. That's real. It's right now, right this second. Yeah. That's what's up. That's what I would say. That's what's up. (laughs) Christina, can you let the people know where they can find you? Yes. People want, thank you for letting me come here in this space. You can find me at, at mommy underscore Cartwright on Instagram and you can follow along on my journey to rebranding motherhood there and that's it that's what's up yeah christina i appreciate you being on this episode we got a couple of more episodes we do to record but i appreciate you i appreciate this being the first one oh this felt good this was amazing thank you so much this is an honor this is of course this is amazing i love it i appreciate you being on the show thank you i appreciate y'all listening this is mike brown This is the art of letting go. Peace.